Today we come to the end of our journey through Habakkuk, and it's been a great journey. You know, I, I plan the sermons out uh, six months to a year in advance. I, I pray and ask God uh, what to show me what we need to hear as a body, and and Habakkuk uh, came to me both through the Spirit and, and also because of its subject matter. It's it's about how to have faith in confusing times, how to f- have faith when times are tough. And I'm going to tell you, if, if you know me, you know I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. I, I see the best in people. I usually see the best in circumstances and situations. But having said that, as I survey the world today, as I survey the state of our country and our economy, I, I really think that we are in for some tough times to come as a people. And for Christians, I think we're also in for a tough time from non-Christians. And so I think that was a big part of the reason God led me to bring this series on Habakkuk to you, because we need, for the times that are come, strong faith. Either you right now are in a confusing time, a tough time, or you have just come out of one. Or they just haven't got here yet. But it always happens. There are always tough times for different ones of us. And, and countries go through cycles as well. And I, I really do believe we're headed for some tough times. So how do we get ready? The word resilience comes to mind when I think of the book Habakkuk. And I want to say to you that as you see the journey that Habakkuk goes through from chapter 1 to chapter 3, you see that nothing really changes on the outside. The circumstances are still dire for Habakkuk and his people. But you do see this tremendous journey, this transformation from, from confusion to clarity, from fear to faith from chapter 1 to chapter 3. It's not that anything changes on the outside. It's that Habakkuk changes on the inside. He grows inside a faith, a trust, a reliance on God. And that enables him to be resilient. You know, I uh, started this series a few weeks ago, and, and Ben Emerson came to me and said, I, you really need to read the book Unbroken. I've been thinking about it as you've been preaching on Habakkuk. And I said, well, I'll just see the No, he said, read the book. Don't see the movie. And so I read the book, but I mean, I couldn't put it down, about 24 hours, what a great story. Louis Zamperini, uh, he was kind of a, a, a one that got in trouble with the law when he was young. In fact, as he grew to become a great track star, he, served, he was in our, uh, on our country's, uh, one of the youngest members of our track team in 1936 Olympics. Uh, he said he got so fast by running from the law after he stole something. One person said of Louis Zamperini, only Seabiscuit could outrace Louis Zamperini. Seabiscuit was a great horse of those days. Uh, Louis Zamperini uh, was very fast. It was said of him that he would have been the first person to break the four-minute mile. He was that good, a runner. He was scheduled to be on the 1940 Olympics team, but uh, a little thing called the war got it canceled, World War II. So Louis Zamperini enlisted in the Air Force. He served on a bomber in the Pacific Theater. In 1943, his engine, uh, his plane went down because it had engine trouble. And 
he and his shipmates, two other shipmates, were shipwrecked. They were just clinging to this small tattered raft for 47 days. Faced tremendous dehydration, starvation. Sharks circled them, some leaping out of the air to try to get at them. Lou Zamperini writes, as he tells the story through Laura Hillenbrand, the author of this book, that at one point he said, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll serve you forever. On that 47th day, they saw land. It turned out to be the Marshall Islands. And they got close to the land, and a boat came over, a Japanese boat, and rescued the two. A third man had passed away, two of them, and took them to a horrendous POW camp. In this POW camp, the prisoners were treated horrifically, and it seems Louis Zamperini was, was uh, singled out and given even worse treatment. The worst of their captors, of their tormentors, was a Japanese sar- sergeant named Matsuhiro Watanabe, nicknamed the Bird. And Louis Zamperini felt himself rotting away in prison. How do you deal with tough situations? How, when tough times come, do you somehow get through? Do you, do you persevere? How are, how are you resilient through those kind of things? Well, in Habakkuk 3, I think it tells us three different steps of faith, the kind of transforming faith, the faith that will enable us to persevere, to be re- resilient through whatever life brings our way. The first step of faith we see here, it's a very simple outline. Verses 1 through 2 tell us that prayer is the first step of faith. It is vital. I know we talk about prayer a lot in church, but it's vital to understand that is the place it begins. If we want to change from the inside, it has to be as we communicate with God, as we talk to God and, and listen to God. Uh, that has that transformation in us. It brings about uh, what God wants in us as we seek him. Uh, this uh, chapter begins, verses 1 and 2, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet of uh, Shiganoth. Uh, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Notice he is asking for the Lord to bring change. He's asking for the Lord to bring revival. But he also is clearly saying it's, it's to start with me. It's uh, not me looking and seeing uh, God for you to do everything and everybody else. And so often today as we look and think about the troubles of our neighborhood, the troubles of our city, the troubles of our county, the troubles of our nation, so oftentimes it's easy to look out and say, if this would just change and that person would just change. But I will tell you, as I deepen my prayer walk with God, it often makes me understand that revival must begin with me. Instead of looking at others, I need to confess before God my failings. I need to allow God to take over my thoughts and to take over my priorities and to shape my values in his image. It's not about others. Revival must begin 
with ourselves, and it happens through this communication, this prayer with God. An old Chinese prayer says, O Lord, change the world. Begin, I pray thee, with me. Or an old spiritual uh, says, It's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Habakkuk is troubled, but you see him continue to pray to God. And it's in this prayer that unfolds kind of like a psalm. And you notice as he moves in this prayer, the focus is about him being shaped and changed, but to change, he focuses on God. And that's the second part of building a strong faith. It begins with prayer, it continues vision, with vision. Now, we call this in theological circles, what happens in verses 3 through 15, a, a theophany. It's having a vision of God. In the Proverbs, it tells us without vision, the people will perish. I think we need to have not, I'm talking about 2020 physical vision. I'm talking about a vision of how God made everything and a vision of how God works things and how he wants us to take up and be and play our part as a minister, as a missionary for him in our circles. Yes, it's not just vocational ministers and missionaries God wants to bring up and rise up. It's people who don't work in the church all the time. It's people who don't actually go overseas as a missionary. It's each one of us, each one of you. He calls all of us to serve him, all of us to be ministers for him, all of us to do his will. And if we are going to change, if we're going to be resilient as a country through the times that are to come, as we're going to be resilient as a church through the times that are to come, then it means we need to have our eyes fixed on God. We need to have our eyes fixed on what he wants to happen in our individual lives and through us as we serve him. A vision is what we need. Verses 3 through 15, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. You ever heard that saying, the uh, darkness, it's always uh, darkest before the dawn? His splendor was like the sunrise. He, He brings the light in the midst of darkness. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and writhed, Uh, torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. It's beautiful, it's written in Hebrew poetry. But notice the focus, it's on the actions of God throughout the history of Israel. In other words, to think about and to know what is to come, you look back to the past. And notice the times that the people of Israel relied on God. God showed up. God took care of them. God provided for them. God protected them. It's why I asked you earlier to think about how God has worked in your life. Even when you weren't aware or maybe you were even running from him. How God 
has continually, his goodness and his love have pursued you. His goodness and his mercy have chased after you. The deeds of God, the vision of what God has done, a vision of what God can do, is absolutely essential to faith. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out, and here he reverse to the Exodus, when God brought the people out of Egyptian slavery into freedom, and how as the Egyptian army, the mighty Egyptian army, chased them, God caused the Red Sea to first open, where the people of Israel could go through and then close upon those terrible chariots. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. <clears throat> With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter uh, glow, uh, scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the right waters. You go back this week and read through that great vision of God. You notice all the verbs. God may seem late, but he is not. God takes care. He acts. He protects and he provides for his people. The question I think we need to ask ourselves as we go through tough times is how big is God? And maybe, just maybe, we don't have a big enough God. We maybe think God's not big enough for our modern problems, but I assure you, the same God who acted for Israel will act for his Christian people, for his churches today. If we had a bigger God, we wouldn't worry as much. If we had a bigger God, we'd be stronger in the moment of crisis. If we had a bigger God, we'd be less tempted to compromise. If we had a bigger God, we would be less tempted to rely on our own strength and our own maneuverings. How big is your God? We need a big vision of him. To have the kind of faith that Habakkuk talks about, that Habakkuk says we need to have with what comes. Prayer, vision, testimony. Testimony is the third step of faith. A witness for him. A, a way to live strong, even in the midst of crisis. And I've divided this into three sections. There are three different parts of testimony. First is acceptance. It's acceptance. It's understanding the reality, and Habakkuk gets that. He knows that the Babylonian Empire is right at the point of bringing their judgment, their justice uh, to the nation of Israel. He knows that this calamity is coming. And yet, what does he say? Verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones and my legs trembled. Is there a, what a great description of fear and uncertainty. Maybe all of us, I think, probably have experienced. My lips quivered, my, uh, my legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He accepts that he is a person and God is God. He accepts that it has to be not his will, but God's will to be done. As you go through grief, perhaps the loss of a loved one or 
the loss of a relationship, you have to come to that stage. It's the fifth stage of the process of grief, of acceptance. And I believe if we're going to have a positive view, if we're going to have a proactive view and believe in faith, that we have to come to that point where we accept that he is God and we are not. And to testify, we need to understand that he is God and we are not. Testimony means accepting who God is. It also means commitment. Verses 17 to 18. Notice this remarkable passage. In fact, I would suggest to you to memorize Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I don't know if you get how important those verses are. Rejoice literally means in Hebrew to dance with joy. It means to to have a party, to be exultant, to be enthusiastic. And what he's saying, even though every food source has been depleted, every the, even though our economy has been decimated, for in those times they couldn't go to Walmart to get groceries. In those times, if you're in an agricultural society, all of the fig trees don't bud and, and the animal stalls are all empty, you have no food, you have no visible material way to get on to go on but yet he says even if it all was gone i would still rejoice i'm that committed that is faith that will get you through anything that's the kind of faith god needs to breathe into our church into our nation that's the kind of faith that will help us no matter what comes. Let me ask you, what if you lose your job? Could you still say, I will rejoice in the Lord? What if the safety net fails? What if tomorrow the stock market went to zero? Our IRAs and 401ks had no value. What if you run out of food? What if you can't pay your bills? What if your children end up in jail? What if your loved ones never come to Christ? What if the doctor says it's terminal? What if your spouse has a heart attack and you're left alone? What if America falls to a foreign power? What if you lose your job because you're a Christian? What if you end up in jail for your faith? Could you still say, I believe I'm that committed and I rejoice? In the Lord, it can be done. A couple years ago, Matthew Warren, the son of Rick Warren and Kay Warren. Rick Warren is the author of The Purpose Driven Life, minister at a big church in Southern California. We're devastated. But Kay Warren writes a, a testimony that I think is helpful helpful for all of us to hear, to show us that it can be done, even when life totally 
seems to fall apart. Yes, you can believe. Yes, you can go on. She writes, on July 18, 1985, I gave birth to our beloved gift of God, Matthew David Warren. Holding him in my arms that morning, I had no idea how dark the journey would get for him and for those who love him. All I knew that bright morning was that I was madly in love with him and could see nothing ahead but a mother's dreams of a good life for her son. I remember Easter 1985. It was a tough pregnancy. We were unsure about how it would result in health for my, me or him. I was unable to go to church. Rick took the kids to church and I stayed by myself for a few hours. The TV remote by my side is my only companion. Somehow I dropped the remote and couldn't retrieve it, so there I was, alone on one of the most joyous holidays, with not even a TV preacher to keep me company, full of anxiety and fear for myself and my unborn child. I painfully reached for my Bible, and it fell open to Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the, hot, on the heights. There was a word from the Lord to me. And I determined that even if my worst nightmare came true, if my baby died, or if I never walked again, that I would trust in God my Savior. I would rejoice in the sovereign Lord. Matthew David Warren was born, and everything seemed fine. But by his first birthday, we began to wonder. And by his second and third birthdays, we knew he wasn't like his older brother and sister. When he took his life last year, after battling and fighting so hard for decades, a friend sent me Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 in a sympathy card. She had no idea how incredibly significant this passage was to me. But it was a fitting bookend to his life and reminded me that God's wisdom is unknowable. Because I'd feared for years that he would take his life, it became his greatest pursuit and my greatest anguish. I'd come to the point in which I'd said, as I had 24, 27 years before, before he was born, even if my worst nightmare comes true and he takes his life, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So today, his 29th birthday, through weeping, I shout it to the watching universe. I will rejoice in God. I will be joyful in God my Savior. My heart remains wounded and battered, but my faith is steady. There is... And will be, as Stephen Curtis Chapman says, a glorious unfolding of all that God has in store for me and my family. God is faithful in his promises of rebuilding and restoring the ruins. And I'm confident that I will yet be a witness to many, many, many lives healed and hope restored. All because of my beloved gift of God, Matthew David Warren. I miss you, darling boy, but it will be for just a little while. How do you say yes, Lord, even when it all falls apart? It's through this kind of faith 
It's through trusting in God even when you don't have all the answers. It's through being determined to be his. It's easy to be a Christian when everything's going well. But what do you do when it all falls apart? The third step you see here of testimony is that that kind of commitment, that kind of acceptance leads to a tremendous stability. A stability. In verse 19, often not given so much examination, you see an amazing picture. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. If you've ever been to the Holy Land on the west side of the Dead Sea, you will see these big, steep hills, almost mountains, cliffs, that almost go straight up. And they have all kinds of small rocks that, that if you touch them, they'll go scattering down the, the mountain. But yet you see deer that just jump around and leap around. Uh, their feet are made such, their hooves, that they can perch on almost vertical rocks and cliffs. They're not worried at all. Leaping and bounding about on a nearly vertical hillside. They have stable footing. They are confident that they can handle whatever comes. So it is that this kind of faith I'm talking about can enable us to stand through whatever comes, either individually, in our health, in our vocation, our career, our relationships, or in all of those that happen as, to us as a country, as a whole. Reminds me in Ephesians 6, 13, it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. And it's amazing to see somebody stand firm, to even rejoice in the face of great difficulty. But I have seen it over and over again in people who trusted the Lord and put him first. And it can happen for you. You can develop the same kind of confidence, the same kind of stability, but it means putting him first. It means trusting him. It means giving it all to him. So oftentimes, trusting in our own power, our own abilities can get us through a tough time. But are we really whole? Louis Zamperini made it through the prisoner war camp because of a great resolve because he had internal fortitude trusting in his ability he made it through physically but mentally he was a mess as he came back stateside he was firmly in the grips of what we now know as PTSD and you can imagine why as he was tortured unmercifully in that prison camp after being shipwrecked for 47 days he found a woman and met her, married her, but their life was torture. Because Louis Zamperini every night had flashbacks. He had nightmares, and often the bird was a, a primary vision in those nightmares. He turned to alcohol, became an alcoholic. 1950, Billy Graham did a crusade in their town. And his wife persuaded him to go hear Billy Graham preach. And so he went. As he heard his words, 
of truth. Instead of accepting, he got angry. When he left, he said he wouldn't come back. Well, his wife kept persuading him, and, and she got him to go back another night. And he said, well, when he says every eye closed and every head bowed, then I'm leaving. I'm out. God spoke through Billy Graham and instead of leaving he came to Christ the Bible says if we will draw close to God he will draw close to us and Louis Zamperini remembered that on that ship that little raft out in the Pacific Ocean he said God if you'll get me out of this then I'll serve you forever And he gave his life to the Lord. He never had, according to him in this book, he never had another nightmare. He never had another night robbed of peaceful sleep by the bird and all these terrible experiences. He founded a boy's home and has touched many lives. He serves faithfully at the First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood, California. You see, his internal, physical fortitude got him through the ocean and through the prisoner of war camp. But it was only God that could bring him peace. It was only God that could bring him internal joy. The Bible says there's a peace that passes understanding that God wants to give to each of us. So that when tough times come, we will be strong. We will stand. I can't change your outside circumstances, but God can change you on the inside to deal with whatever you're in, whatever is to come. And yes, we still, even in the midst of great pain and suffering, we can rejoice and say, you are our God. We're your people. We give our lives to you. Fathers, we think about these things today. I don't know what my friends here are going through, but I am sure today was a word for a few. And if not in our current life circumstances, it will be a word we need to remember in the future. Father, when we get down to it, we have to strip everything else away and just depend on you. So help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.